Hello, and welcome to the Learn It podcast, a weekly conversation with global education leaders for people who are passionate about the future of learning. Our aim is to introduce you to changemakers who are reimagining what students need to know, how they will learn it, and ways technology can help or not. We're looking at reopening schools in the wake of COVID and how learning is changing. We want to know how to close equity gaps and prepare students with the mindsets and skills to thrive in what is proving to be a very uncertain world. I'm your host, Jenny Anderson. Head over to learnit.world to join the community or to get in touch. If you've ever wondered what it would look like to mobilize an entire community around the future of learning, you're going to want to listen to our show today. Our guest is Greg Baer, Executive Director of the Grable Foundation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's also the founder and co-chair of Remake Learning, a network that has spent 15 years and $100 million creating the time and space and funding for individuals who want to support kids in school or out of it in early years or in high school, in museums and classrooms and libraries and with a cross section of educators, artists, technologists, academics, and of course, teachers. That 100 million sounds like a lot of money, but it's been awarded in small bets, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, which has catalyzed a sort of citywide research and development in education that's really unique. Greg talks about how to support a network and measure its success. And what's clear is that all those bets ignite and underwrite those ready for change. I think the work of cultivating readiness happens continuously, happens whether or not the world is ready for it, because there are individuals always ready for it, individuals always working to try and do better on the part of kids and fellow educators and parents, families, and caregivers. There's always someone who's ready. And and the question is, how do we support them? One of the most striking things about Remake Learning was their realization 10 years into operating that their network was serving educators and technologists and artists, professionals and their learning allies, but not providing enough support to families and caregivers. So in 2016, they launched Remake Learning Days, which Greg describes as a week-long festival of modern learning. These days showed families how learning was being remade, offered ways they could support the new ways of learning, and started to build demand for a more future-oriented version of education. In its first year, over nine days, nearly 30,000 families came out to more than 250 events that the organizations and schools organized and hosted on their own. The idea has gained traction across the U.S. Next year, Remake Learning Days are set to take place in 16 cities across the U.S. with necessary adaptions in light of COVID, of course. Greg Baer, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us. It's an honor to be here, Jenny. Thank you. You are doing some extraordinary work in Pittsburgh, which is in Pennsylvania, which is a state that everybody in the world now knows about, thanks to the recent election. But could you tell us a little bit about Pittsburgh so we know about the context in which we're working? Yes. So Pittsburgh is situated in southwestern Pennsylvania. It's a city that was known as an industrial powerhouse. A lot of people call it today the Silicon Valley of the industrial age because of the steel and the glass and the iron that was produced here. But it's also a city that's gone through multiple renaissances and has reimagined itself. And in many ways, Pittsburgh is a 40-year overnight success story. It's a city that's emerged here into the 21st century, an economy that's based in banking and in medicine, in education, in artificial intelligence and new technologies. It's a city blessed with a lot of higher education institutes. And it's a city that's incredibly family friendly. It's a place that I just love raising my family. It's sort of that great big small town, a city that has all sorts of amenities that you'd want in any major metropolis in terms of the arts and culture and sports and parks. But it's also a place that you can navigate 
fairly easily in comparison to large cities across the world. A lot of your work is tying together that incredible rich menu of options. Tell us what Remake Learning is. So the context of Pittsburgh is so important, right? This is a place that aspires to be one of the best places on planet Earth to be a kid and made easier to raise a kid. And one of the opportunities and challenges for us is then to think about learning and what constitutes great learning for our young people in this region. So 15 years ago, this is a place that started constructing a learning ecosystem that connects what's happening in and out of school, early childhood through higher education. It's a network that we talk about as igniting relevant, engaging, and equitable learning, connecting what's happening in schools with libraries and museums and creative industries and early learning, and really trying to weave together all of those people who care about young people and really build a sensibility of what constitutes great learning in and out of school. It's often said that kids learn at any time, at any place, at any pace, and how do we support that? And it's also very Pittsburgh in the sense that we turn to one of our local legends, Fred Rogers, when we think about what constitutes great learning in this region. Fred Rogers was an icon of American television for decades in this country. And all of his productions, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, originated right here in Pittsburgh. Now, I mentioned Fred because he's someone that those of us who watched his show knew as almost like a grandfatherly, loving, caring person. It's clear that he was steeped in child development theory and practice. And in fact, Jenny, he studied at the University of Pittsburgh at a time when Benjamin Spock, Margaret McFarlane, Eric Erickson, and others were all right here in Pittsburgh developing early childhood development theory. Mr. Rogers is a product of all of that. But Fred Rogers was also an incredible disruptor, an incredible innovator. He's someone who saw the new technology of his day, which in his case was television, and said, how do I co-opt this and make this productive and good? And that's what he did with his television program. And when we think about the modern technologists and artists and designers, in many ways, they're applying what Fred applied years ago. That is a grounding in child development theory with what we're learning about the learning sciences and learning itself with new technologies to create all sorts of learning experiences in and out of school. We like to call it the Fred method. And that's what we're endeavoring to apply all across our learning landscape here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. You are a network, a space and a place and a funding mechanism for people to come together. That sounds incredibly messy. How do you actually do that in a way that works? You're right. A learning ecosystem, a cluster, a network is something that's different. And there's a messiness of language and opportunity. But there are 600 schools, museums, libraries, early learning centers, after school programs and the like who are availing themselves of what Remake Learning offers. So what is it that Remake Learning offers to these schools and museums and libraries? One, there's catalytic grant making. Small amounts of grants that have been distributed year in, year out for nearly 15 years now that allow, for example, a teacher to work with a technologist or a librarian to work with a designer in a new way to think about learning experiences in their settings. There are also all sorts of meetups and conferences and local events that bring people together and bring people together from across disciplines. Last year, more than 2,000 people participated in very small meetups connecting around issues of human-centered design or around STEM learning or around technology-enhanced learning. 
There's an immense amount of storytelling that we do, deep investment in communications in telling the stories of ways that schools or other sites of learning are connecting what's timeless about learning with new ways of learning. We also organize delegations that go elsewhere. We had 30 superintendents that went off to San Diego County earlier this year to explore together as a group what schools in San Diego County are doing in an innovative, creative way, and how could they bring that back home here to Pittsburgh. So there's a lot of investment in pot stirring and idea stirring, trying to find some of the best ideas around the world and bring them here. So there are all sorts of levers for change under this umbrella of Remake Learning. And we like to say that Remake Learning has many doors. You know, we know well that schools and organizations have interests. Some have a STEM interest. Some have a maker-centered learning interest. Others might have technology-enhanced learning interests. Remake Learning is this umbrella that you can come in and find peers that share that interest, but then start to bump up against these other new ways of learning to say, huh, how would we take advantage of play-based learning in our STEM-oriented high school? Or how would we take advantage of technology-enhanced learning in this place where we've really examined human-centered design? And it sounds like just listening to you talk that one of your KPIs, for lack of a better term, is literally our people coming together, right? It's a sort of how many interactions are taking place. How else do you gauge whether what you're doing is working? So network effect is hard to measure. It is something that we're endeavoring to do, working with learning scientists right here in our own backyard at Carnegie Mellon University and the University of Pittsburgh. But we also look to the discrete data of the schools or libraries or others who are participating. So let me give you two very concrete examples. The Carnegie Library System of Pittsburgh, some years ago, started rethinking what they wanted their teen spaces to be and look like and experience. And a lot of people said, you know what, libraries are dead to young people today. There's no chance of bringing them back to young people. Well, our colleagues at the library didn't believe that. And they started working with the Entertainment Technology Center at Carnegie Mellon University and said, how do we redesign these spaces aesthetically, knowing that environment drives behavior? But then how also do we think about the people and the things in this space? Yes, we're still going to have a librarian. And yes, we're going to still have books. But what if we brought in artists and hip hop artists and mentors to be in these spaces? What if we started putting tools and guitars and gaming software in these spaces too? What would that look like? And that resulted ultimately in a two-fold increase of teens coming into the library spaces And it also resulted in an 18% increase in book circulation among teens. And it was precisely because they came into a space, they were interested, they were supported by the adults in that space, and then they had a sense of agency. And Mimi Ito from Cal Irvine has done a lot of research about this work and the MacArthur Foundation invested mightily in what they describe as connected learning. What they're doing at the Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh is very much the principles of connected learning where kids are hanging around, messing around, and geeking out. Mimi Ito calls it the Hamago principles. A second example turns to a school using the same partner in Carnegie Mellon University and the Entertainment Technology Center. So the Elizabeth Ford School District is a school district just at the south of Pittsburgh. I don't say this in a way that maligns the district, but it's not a place you would have ever expected the future of learning to take off not a particularly well-resourced school district, a school district that is in the still rusting part of Pittsburgh, partly suburban, partly urban, even rural in different ways. And it's a school district whose superintendent and assistant superintendent came to the Entertainment Technology Center at CMU and immediately said, 
we're not preparing our kids for this future that I am seeing here in this space on this campus. What do we need to start to do differently? Well, they did one thing first. They changed one classroom in their high school to almost look like and mimic the Entertainment Technology Center. Within a year, a quarter of all students wanted to enroll in the new classes that they were offering in that space. So they saw an immediate attraction to that space and the instruction that was happening in that space, which led them down a path of starting to invest in other spaces in the school building, reimagining their school library, reimagining other spaces, building them out as technology-enhanced learning spaces, as maker labs. You can imagine they also invested in a lot of professional development and learning. It's a school district that started connecting with new partners, museums and libraries and other campuses of higher education, not only here, but elsewhere in Chattanooga, in California, and really started expanding who they are and what they're offering to their kids. They got involved early on in the League of Innovative Schools hosted by Digital Promise and started connecting with peers all across the country. I mention these things to say they saw increases in math scores, reading scores, their dropout rates, which had been at about 26, 27, 28 per year, dropped to zero and one a year. And also when the pandemic struck, it's one of a very few schools in this region that didn't miss one day of instruction because they had invested in culture and preparation for years. And so when something like the pandemic came, they said, well, let's move to remote instruction. We can do it. We know how to do it. We have the pedagogy to do it. We have the training to do it. And they didn't miss one day of school last spring when the pandemic shut schools down. I'm sure anyone listening right now is going to say, like, where's the money coming from? So you wear two hats. You are the founder and co-chair of Remake Learning, but you are also the head of the Grable Foundation. So you help finance this. Let's just take the example of the Elizabeth Ford School. Did they get funding to do this from you, from Remake Learning? How does that work? If you're the school that has the idea, who's walked into this bright, shiny lab and says, I want that, you know, the first obstacle for many people is going to be resources. So then what happens? Your listeners will know that the, our nonprofit sector, the NGO sector, has a wacky capital system. <laughs> and that's certainly true here. Yes, I also am privileged to wear the hat as executive director of the Grable Foundation, which uh, I've done for nearly 15 years now. And our trustees are extraordinary in their support for kids and learning in and out of school all across this region. And the Grable Foundation, among other funders, has supported Remake Learning over these 10 to 15 years. In the case of Elizabeth Ford, that's an example of a school district that's benefited from support, not only from the Grable Foundation, but also directly from the grant making that Remake Learning is able to provide because they pool funds from funders, including the Grable Foundation and others. But we've also been able to attract partnerships and funders from across the country. The example that I gave of Elizabeth Ford of that classroom, that was about a ten dollars to $12,000 grant, you know, small amount of money that helped them transform that classroom. And they used their own uh, staff to repaint the room, redesign the room. It wasn't a costly endeavor. It was a little bet that they made about what could happen in their school, which then started to unfold in brilliant ways. And yes, they've attracted additional private support along the way, but they've also rethought their own budget. And more importantly, they're spending their budget in a different way. I mean, that's an organization that has a 20 to $30 million annual budget as one school district. Philanthropy or private funding could never do what a school district or others do in terms of their budgeting. But that said, Remake Learning has raised nearly $100 million over 15 years to support the myriad of activity across hundreds of schools, museums, and libraries. 
But when I mention that $100 million, it's important to note that that money has been distributed in thousands of little bets. It's not been distributed in multi-million dollar grants, but rather $10,000 grants and $5,000 grants and $20,000 grants. We believe deeply here in this region in the work of Remake Learning that change doesn't happen in some great big sweeping moment and now we shall all do this, right? But rather it's thousands of little bets that lots and lots of administrators and librarians and youth workers and other people who care about kids are making as they think about ways of connecting what's timeless about learning with new ways of learning. And it's these thousands of little bets that are yielding this learning ecosystem that we now have. Tell us a little bit about Remake Learning Days and how they came about. About five years ago, one of the things we realized is that the network serves well educators and technologists and artists, the professionals who are doing the work in these institutions of schools, museums, and libraries. What we weren't doing was helping and supporting parents, families, and caregivers. And that's what led to the creation of Remake Learning Days. Think of Remake Learning Days as a week-long festival of modern learning. It's an amusement park of innovative learning and practices that happen simultaneously whereby schools are hosting um, events in their maker spaces and libraries are hosting something in their STEM lab and, and events that these individual organizations organize that all then happen under the umbrella of Remake Learning Days. Schools and museums and libraries and other sites of learning are hosting family-friendly events during a week-long period and they're opening up their STEM lab, they're opening up their media lab, they're opening up their maker space so that adults and their kids can come in and experience Makey Makey together or design something together in a new way. And so uh, Remake Learning Days launched in 2016 here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. And again, the goals were threefold. One, to help families understand how learning is being remade. Two, to support families, embrace new ways of learning and to know how to support their own kids if their kid is lit up by coding or making what do I do about that? Where do I go? Where can I turn all across this region? And three, start to build that sense of demand in parents for new ways of learning so that they start to ask their teacher or their school board or others, why aren't we doing this? How might we do this? My kid is, um, uh, you know, just clearly has this interest in coding. What do I do about that? That first year in 2016 was a big experiment on our part. Nine days of Remake Learning Days held in May 2016, and nearly 30,000 families came out to more than 250 events that the organizations and schools involved in Remake Learning organized and hosted on their own. It was a surprise to us, the, the level of success and participation in that first year. And we realized we'd captured something. And so you might imagine we have made Remake Learning Days a central part of the Remake Learning Network each of these past few years. And in fact, there were seven other cities and regions last year that hosted Remake Learning Days. And when Remake Learning Days is held next year, it'll take place in 16 states, cities, and regions from coast to coast here in America. You've been doing survey work. What have you found? What are the results of this participation, of this exposure, of this adventure with your child for the day or child in your care? So we were smart enough to begin to document that in year one. And in fact, every year for Remake Learning Days have conducted surveys of more than a thousand parents and families who've participated in events all across our region. And so we have data 
documenting the ways in which parents' familiarity with new ways of learning, as expressed through project-based learning and STEM and STEAM learning, have actually increased over these five years, and how their uh, lack of familiarity, it's almost gone to zero. Every family at some point knows how learning is changing and being remade. And have you found ways to change it in response to what they aren't seeing or what they want more of? In other words, feedback that you've gotten that you've found helpful in reshaping and iterating this? We have a particular attention on issues of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. And in fact, in our work at Remake Learning have expressed not only our deep commitment to justice learning, but have, for our region, tried to articulate that in terms of learners of color, learners in poverty, girls in STEM, rural learners, and learners with disabilities. And I mentioned that to say that we've gotten better with each year in thinking about equity and access as it relates to Remake Learning Days and are very specific about organizing events in neighborhoods and communities that help us connect with those five um, equity pillars and constituencies I just mentioned and making sure that then there's commensurate marketing and outreach in those communities and local organizing by um, local organizations and people doing the extraordinary work of remaking learning. And in fact, with each passing year, when we look at levels of participation across socioeconomic data and across race data and the like, we're actually overperforming in comparison to what this region would tell us about our racial and socioeconomic makeup. What happened in COVID? I mean, this is obviously an incredibly physical place-based thing. So what did you do this year? And when you talk about these 16 places, are those in person or are those online? It was supposed to have been held in the 16 uh, sites across America this year. It's been postponed until April and May of 2021. Whether that happens virtually, in person, or some mix therein is still to be determined it's likely that it's gonna be some mix of activity, but we've also rethought Remake Learning Days. It's no longer just a festival of innovative learning, but we've rethought it as a year long campaign that launched in October and will continue through October of next year. That's supported by all sorts of online activities and events. So 2019, maybe the smartest among us were recognizing a pandemic was on the horizon. I can't claim that I was part of that. <laughs> but what we did recognize was that we're in about year 13 in developing this learning ecosystem here in the Pittsburgh region. And we recognize that there are some educators and innovators who've been involved in Remake Learning for more than a decade. And there are others who joined 10 or 15 weeks ago. And what is the work that we needed to do to deepen our region's commitment and just continue to build a culture and a mindset in this region around what it means to remake learning? And so we designed this campaign called Remake Tomorrow that was scheduled to launch in, in May and continue through October. And you might imagine how things changed incredibly with the onset of the pandemic and racial unrest, and yet the campaign seemed to match the moment. The campaign that consisted of 25 weeks of original reporting and articles, of all sorts of calls to action on social media, of significant events that became virtual events, more than $1.5 million in grant making that was distributed in terms of R&D money to local organizations, monies that were distributed to think about where do we need to go next? 
which you could imagine took on a completely profound set of thinking and worry as we look ahead. And so that work here in this region as a local campaign inspired Remake Learning Days to rethink its work as a campaign marked by a significant festival in these 16 sites, but really is something that helps to build will and a mindset in places across America about what needs to happen as we look ahead. We love to extol the virtues of failure in education, but we don't always model that. So I would love to hear about some of these small bets that didn't work or that evolved into something else but failed first. So in the first decade of this century, Remake Learning undertook a massive effort to engage many hundreds, if not thousands of educators in rethinking credentialing and to think about micro-credentials and to think about badging in particular. And Jenny, actually some amazing work was done. And there were hundreds of educators who wordsmithed and developed um, a whole set of stackable digital badges in seven different categories of new ways of learning. So there was there was computational thinking, there was um, maker-centered learning, there was STEM and STEAM learning. Some extraordinary work was done. Well, um, you could imagine that it's ultimately work that just hit with a great big thud because it was an idea for which the, the world and um, schools and sites of learning just weren't yet ready. It was a clever way of thinking about assessment, but the procedures and the mandates and the expectations of assessment and what people were actually experiencing just didn't match the innovation at that time. So I have to admit there was probably all sorts of money and time and effort on a lot of people that didn't go anywhere. Now, having said that, right, even in those failures and a great big failure like that one, there's some gems and some work that emerges. And there is no doubt that there are many examples in our region of organizations and systems that are rethinking assessment and credentials and credentialing. And Elizabeth Ford is one of those places. So that's a school district. Educators had been involved in that effort and they came back to their district and said, well, um, you know, maybe the world isn't moving to stackable digital badges just yet, but there's some things that we can do. And they took their kindergarten curriculum and said, could we rethink our curriculum as a set of competencies that we want our kindergartners to achieve over the course of the year? And could we match that then with badges, get rid of our report cards and rethink the way that we're working with parents, families, and caregivers to help document progress for these youngest of our students. And they ended up working with a Canadian-based company and designed 66 digital badges that to this day they're still using and using brilliantly. In places where we're not ready for something like digital badging, should we be making it ready? Like what is our role there? When you look at that and kind of reflect on what that whole experience means, is it you do it anyway, even if the world's not ready for it and the world might become ready or you play a role in making the world ready or do we have to wait until the world is ready? So when we say, is the world ready? I think we're largely talking about the systems that we know um, in our world. Are the school districts ready? Are the departments of education ready? Are the library systems ready? And the thing is, there are teachers and youth workers and librarians in all of those systems who are ready. They are masters at what they do. They're continuously attending to their craft and they're remarkable innovators. And so our opportunity 
is to find them, support them, connect them um, to their peers and resources and partnerships. And that's what Remake Learning does. And so I think the work of cultivating readiness happens continuously, happens whether or not the world is ready for it, because there are individuals always ready for it. Individuals always working to try and do better on the part of kids and fellow educators and parents, families, and caregivers. There's always someone who's ready. And, and the question is, how do we support them? And if they don't have peers in their own school organization, how do we create systems so that they're connected to their peers and they really, and you start to grow a movement. I mean, it's what community organizing is ultimately all about. And it's what Remake Learning is trying to do. At its core, it's community organizing, mobilizing toward an ambition. You are trained as a lawyer, and now you're deeply embedded in education and community organizing. So how did you get here? I'm trained as a lawyer, and I'm also fortunate to have a public policy degree. And as much as possible in my preparation in higher education, focused on the interface between public policy and philanthropy about civil society in the nonprofit sector and have a deep commitment to public service that extends deep into my years in middle school and high school. But I mentioned that to say when I was fortunate to be recruited to the Grable Foundation, I succeeded uh, uh, an individual who was leading the foundation in an extraordinary way. And my question was, how do you build upon the excellence that she's achieved and supported for this organization and for our community? And so one of the things that I did early on was just try to meet with the teachers and the librarians and youth workers whom we were privileged to support. And I started hearing from them something that I didn't notice at first, but that became profoundly important. I heard them saying, I'm not connecting with kids the way that I used to. And at first, I didn't think anything of that because I thought, well, generations of adults have and will forever say that about young people. <laughs> but I noticed that it was being said by people who had different levels of experience, teachers who had 35 years versus one or two years. And then I began to appreciate that they literally meant my classroom in 2005 versus 2006 is fundamentally different, which, um, I mean, seemed inexplicable at the time. Um, and it feels naive in 2020 to say this, but now I understand and appreciate what we were learning about learning from the field of learning sciences at places like Carnegie Mellon University in my own backyard, to say nothing of MIT or the University of Washington or elsewhere. We were learning that, in fact, learning was changing, that young people were developing their identities differently, seeking affirmation differently, consuming and producing information differently. And we now know from neuroscience that their brains are actually developing differently for, because of social and technological reasons. And so we made a bet at that time in 2006 and 2007, if in fact young people are fundamentally different, how do we think about what's timeless in learning, like the role of caring adults, but be mindful about these futures and where these futures are taking these young people and think differently about instruction and the design of space and the design of experiences and the work that we need to do differently to um, create cultures that would support these new, new ways of learning. And Remake Learning started literally with a coffee meeting um, that led to a pancake breakfast that led to a larger pancake breakfast. And it's something that snowballed as we began to appreciate that lots of people, not just in the field of education, 
but technologists and designers and gamers and artists were also starting to ask these questions too. And how could we ask these questions out loud together? And that's how this network began. So the elements of a successful learning ecosystem, you've talked about one um, very powerfully, This the, the power of small bets. Let's not wait for the big change. The power of lots of small bets. What else? We just mentioned pancake breakfasts, right? The social element. I mean, this is not just an academic or professional exercise, but really building relationships among people and doing that through meetups and doing that through events and conference delegations elsewhere. But also we invest in the social aspect of bringing people together and allowing people to build relationships among people they might not know. Uh, It's not often that teachers get together with all of the learning scientists from Google or that librarians are getting together with groups of artists. So creating those settings that allow those relationships to develop. And I know listeners are gonna be super psyched to hear this, but you actually have a playbook that you have designed that anybody uh, can learn from, borrow from um, and use. And we will link to that in the show notes. I have three fun, fast questions for you at the end. What is your favorite book about education? My favorite book about education it's going to be my forthcoming book that I have written with, with Ryan Rudzeski called When You Wonder, You're Learning. So that book will be published in April 2021. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that's my new favorite book. <laughs> it's a labor of, labor of love. Okay, so your favorite book about learning that you didn't write. You know, it's not a book about learning. The book Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed is about a a town in France during World War II. And it speaks to the collective humanity of a place and how in the context of deep evil, a community reached across itself and found great opportunity to love and protect those who are in danger. And I mention that because while I appreciate and have piles of books here, all about learning and learning pedagogy. When I think about the future of learning, I think we need to talk about love and we need to talk about love out loud and use it in a public context. Um, Because as we experiment with new ways of learning and try and respond to um, kids' futures and what they need, we can't forget, as Mr. Rogers never forgot, what is timeless and classic. And core to that is love and humanity. And it's why when I think about books like that or others in this genre, they're actually my favorite books and stories. Final question, what are you binge watching? This will belie everything I've just said to you. I love Vikings, um, which is an incredibly violent (laughs) TV show that my wife won't watch with me. Greg, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us and good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for all that you do and everyone at Learn It Does. Thank you. The term lifelong learning gets bandied about without a lot of thought as to how you're meant to develop the muscles of lifelong learning or how to get started on this thing that we're all meant to know how to do. It strikes me that the work of Remake Learning is a 15-year effort to try to piece together how to build both the mindset and practice of that lifelong learning through giving educators and the myriad people involved in caring and stimulating children's learning a place to do it, funding for it, and peers with whom to create and iterate and invent. I love that Greg kept referencing Fred Rogers, who famously said, look for the helpers, because it seems to me that what Remake Learning is doing is convening and funding lots of helpers who want to support kids. One of the biggest impediments to changing education is fear from parents. 
they're often asked to embrace something like STEM or STEAM or project-based learning without really knowing if it works or why schools are using it. But imagine a set of days in which you see new ways of learning and then see your kids lit up by it and hear what it's for and why it matters and how it will prepare your children for the future. Greg's data show that parents are now deeply familiar with these concepts, which allows them to have an informed debate about whether they actually want them. That is a remarkable thing at a moment when we are seriously having to think what learning will look like when we emerge from the mess of this global pandemic. Thanks for listening. We'll link to the items mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. And you can find out more about our community of global education leaders and upcoming meetups by joining our mailing list at learnit.world. In the meantime, stay safe, stay curious, and see you next week.